Today's episode is all about Botox, Botox and filler by Mr. Thomas Chin, aka Fresh Prince of Botox. Such a good name. Thomas began his nursing career in 2009 and then became a full-fledged medical aesthetics injector in 2013. This episode, we dove into his career path, why he chose it, what Botox and filler really are, are they bad for you, misconceptions, preventative Botox, botched procedures, a lot, and also a fun myth or fact segment at the end. Thomas was such a delight to have on, and it was a great conversation. So enjoy. All right. So I have Thomas Chin here, or shall I say the fresh prince of Botox. (laughs) Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Nina. Thanks so much for for having me today. By the way, how did you come up with that name? (laughs) It's a funny story, actually. So I work, uh, even to this day currently, with a neurosurgeon in the city. Uh, his name's Dr. Dion Lowe, and he's a very brilliant guy. He's uh, always got the best jokes, and he was just uh, <laughs> joking around with me one day, and he said to me, he's like, oh, you know, you're, you're really good with, with, with that needle. We should call you the Fresh Prince of Botox, and <laughs> he's got this great South African accent. I can't even um kind of imitate what he says but after he said that I was like oh my gosh that's <laughs> perfect and so I ended up using that name for my Instagram so yeah that's perfect for Instagram <laughs> yeah absolutely that's awesome. it's, it's it's kind of funny actually because my name on Instagram before was very generic it was something like Calgary Medical Aesthetics it was so dry <laughs> it was so boring there's boring. no substance or person exactly there's no personality and after I heard that, I changed it. And, you know, I'm, I'm always worried, like, I don't want to seem like I'm pretentious or egotistical, but <laughs> I changed it. And I guess it was it was a hit after that. So <laughs> no, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> so I want to start by just getting into a little bit about yourself and your background. So uh, I'm a registered nurse, and I've been doing medical aesthetics for the past eight years now. I started in 2013. And how my journey started was actually, I was introduced it more or less. So I, as a, as a younger male in school, I never really thought about going into cosmetics or the word cosmetics itself, historically has not been, in my opinion, a, a gender neutral word, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, I was working, or sorry, I was in school in, in university, and this must have been my first year. My friend was doing some marketing for a medical aesthetics clinic, and he said, hey, you know, they're looking for a receptionist. I just heard, would you like to join on and um, help where you can? And, you know, at that time, I'm in university. I was like, sure, why not? Why don't I, you know, uh, keep myself busy and, you know, help pay for my tuition? And so you obviously took nursing in school then, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was doing nursing and I've always aspired to do something that was involved with uh, the, the medical profession or health profession. And um, I chose nursing just because of its versatility and uh, the many avenues that we can take. And so again, in school, it's, it's, I, I never truly, you know, obviously we all kind of generally have a general rough understanding of what Botox entails. It's, it's a cosmetic thing. And that's as much as I knew back in school, especially in first year. And so my, um, my friend was, uh, had introduced me to this medical aesthetics clinic. And so I joined on to do reception and I ended up doing, um, slowly kind of transitioned to doing some IV therapy that was within my scope of practice as a nurse. And the physician there was like, Hey, you know, you're, it's within your scope of practice to learn how to do injectable treatments. Would you like to learn? And, you know, I've always been open-minded. I was like, 
Sure. Yeah, I, I didn't really know what I was getting my, myself into, to be quite honest. And um, but once I started doing it, I fell in love with it right away. It just really caught my attention. It really opened my eyes. And um, I always say that it's this perfect marriage between medicine, medicine and art. And so <laughs> um, I, I, I've always felt like I had a, uh, an, an artistic side. Um, I don't know if there's any lefties out there, but I, I, I'm a lefty. So I like to think that I, I think more of the right side of my brain and there's more creativity. Who knows what it is? But, um, you know, I've, I've always been involved with doing things that involve art. And again, just being in love with uh, medicine and the health profession, it was, a, it was a perfect match. Love that. And was this yeah. all in Calgary, like where you went to school and where you started working as reception in this clinic? Correct. Yeah, I'm born and raised in Calgary. I did my schooling here in Calgary. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a local boy. There's not too much <laughs> exciting about me. I mean, the only thing is my only time outside of Calgary was living in Japan for one year. Oh, cool. Yes. But aside from that, yeah, all, all of this was was in Calgary. All right. Um, so let's get into like basics of Botox. Can you just explain like what exactly it is? Yeah, absolutely. So in layman terms, or in the simplest terms, Botox is is essentially a brand actually of a neuromodulator. And so the proper word, I guess, uh, would be neuromodulator or Botox is, uh, again, a brand, but the other proper word is botulinum toxin. And essentially, in Canada, there's four brands of neuromodulators. The first that come out was Botox. Uh, the second was Dysport, followed by Xeomin and then Nuceva. And so these are all four brands of botulinum toxin or neuromodulator. And Botox is often used as a blanket term for all of these brands. But in actuality, it's, it's, it represents one single brand. And so essentially what botulinum toxin does or neuromodulators is it helps to cause temporary controlled muscle weakness. So in areas of our face, especially if we're talking about cosmetics, areas like the forehead or uh, between the brows and areas that we start to see lines as we age, it's oftentimes as a result of excessive muscle movement. And to add to that, our skin is not getting any thicker. Unfortunately, it's actually losing collagen. It's actually getting thinner. So what we start to see is that when we are animating our face, our muscles are expressing what tends to happen is we crease lines into our skin. It's almost like when you go to flex your muscle, you can kind of mm -hmm. see your bulky bicep or your bulky tricep. That's basically what your, what your forehead may be doing. And so by injecting Botox, it causes temporary controlled muscle weakness. And essentially how it does that, if we're going to kind of get a little bit into the science, but still keep it basic is it prevents the release of a ser certain neurotransmitter. And by preventing the release of this neurotransmitter, it's like almost breaking the communication between the nerve and the muscle. And so therefore the muscle can't fire off or express as hard as it wants to, and it won't be hyper expressive. This is not to say that getting neuromodulators or botulinum toxin, contrary to um, the misconception out there, it, it doesn't mean that just because you get Botox that you have to look frozen. It's again, mm -hmm. controlled muscle weakness. So depending on the dosage that one gets, it could be very natural where you have close to full expression, but you just have a minimization of lines. And so that's essentially what, uh, what, what Botox does, at least for cosmetic purposes. Okay. Now are Botox and filler essentially the same thing or are they like two right. different things? That's an excellent question. So actually they're quite different and they work in harmony together. And it doesn't mean that everyone has to have both, but they, they, do, they do have similar roles in that they help provide an aesthetic benefits, but 
they're very different in their own right as well. Whereas Botox, again, if we think about it, or neuromodulators, it's like a medication. And it's a medication that essentially will help control the muscles. Whereas filler, in the word filler, is to fill. It's to add volume. It's actually a gel-like substance. It doesn't, um, it's not a medication. And filler can be made of many different properties and materials. And the most common and the most popular these days are hyaluronic acid-based fillers. Why hyaluronic acid? Well, in our body, we naturally do contain hyaluronic acid. And hyaluronic acid is a sugar molecule that can attract a thousand times its molecular weight in water. And so these fillers are not from other people, but they're made synthetically in the lab to match your body as close as possible. And they're made specifically in a way that they don't break down as quick and that it is, again, this gel-like substance that goes to replace volume. So essentially, why would one need filler? Well, it's in cases where if one has wrinkles on their forehead and whatnot, a lot of times that's Botox because we need to think about what's the root cause and the root cause is oftentimes muscle movement. Mm -hmm. But as we age, there is natural structural changes to our anatomy. It's just a natural fact of life. Everyone ages. And what tends to happen is that we might have bony resorption in certain areas of our face. We might lose volume, uh, fat volume in our cheeks. And so when we start to lose volume in certain areas of our face, we, that can give the appearance of aging. So if you think of a, of a young baby almost, you know, a young baby is just have a plump, beautiful face. Um, there's a lot of light reflection bouncing off the face because they just have this full volume. You know, obviously they haven't aged, but if we compare that to maybe an 80 year old who has lost volume over time, um, and not to say that it only happens at 80, unfortunately, we start to experience more noticeable uh, aging, you know, from 25 and on, that's when a lot of uh, things happen internally. And um, what happens is we start to lose volume in areas. And so filler comes into play by helping to replace the volume in certain areas. Filler can also be used to build areas or build up areas and give an aesthetic benefit. So again, we mm -hmm. talked about how it can help replace volume from a restorative standpoint, but it can also give an aesthetic benefit. So for, for example, someone who has a weaker chin or thinner lips, if they want to just add a bit of volume, to give them a stronger chin or to add volume to your lips and something that may they may have never had before, filler may be an excellent option for this. So that's how filler differs from Botox. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and is there anything harmful in filler? Right. You know, I that's a really great question too. And the short answer to that is yes and no. So <laughs> basically, um, fillers nowadays have evolved quite a bit. And the technology behind creating these fillers and ingredients behind these fillers are absolutely incredible. And it's not like the olden days where it's like basically putting cement or silicone into your face, which can be quite scary. It could be quite detrimental and mm -hmm. um, quite consequential where it can cause a lot of adverse reactions and um, have negative health implications. With that said, hyaluronic acid fillers uh, have a very high safety profile and hyaluronic acid based fillers can also be dissolved. So in cases where one doesn't like the results or they're not happy with it for whatever reason, um, or if it's a medical emergency where it needs to be removed, it can be easily dissolved. Um, you know, I think an allergic reaction is always a, a possibility, but I would say just based on the evidence that we do have that it is exceedingly rare to see at least with hyaluronic acid based fillers again, which in my opinion is the safest form of fillers that are available on the market. Mm -hmm. Um, there is always a possibility of an allergic reaction, but it is exceedingly rare to see just given that 
hyaluronic acid is already contained in our body. And if it is a reaction, it may be due to the lidocaine, which is a local numbing agent or local anesthetic, just to make the procedure more comfortable. Mm-hmm. It may just be the lidocaine that may be reacting uh, or that the patient is reacting to. Um, so in general, it, it's, it's quite safe. However, fillers are not without risk. And I think that any time you do go to violate the skin in any way, there are minor risks and there are risks of bruising, which is, mm-hmm. can be common. It's always a 50-50. And I, I like to tell people like, look, as, an, as a provider, as, a, as an injector, we should know our anatomy. We should uh, really have an intimate knowledge of it, but we don't have x-ray vision. We're not superhumans. And so we don't know where things are exactly. And so sometimes there's anatomical variations between people. And so sometimes bruising can happen. And it's usually, it's a 50-50, even, even in the best mm-hmm. hands. Swelling can happen, tenderness, you know, we've poked you with a needle. Um, infection is theoretically possible. It is usually rare to see. And the other risk is what we call vascular occlusion, which is um, something that can be quite scary. It's essentially a filler, doesn't matter if it's hyaluronic acid filler or not, but again, because hyaluronic acid filler can be dissolved, it is ideal to use because in a rare case that it does block a vessel or what we call an artery, arteries are responsible for feeding blood to our tissue. If that is ever obstructed or compromised, um, that, that can be an issue for sure. But uh, the nice thing about hyaluronic acid fillers is that in the rare case scenario that that does happen, which in these, uh, again, seeing things like that are generally quite rare, um, mm-hmm. it can be dissolved quite quickly. And um, usually if it's uh, identified quickly, the end result shouldn't be anything negative. Right. Okay. Um, And at what age would you recommend or suggest preventative Botox? Or is that kind of based on the individual? Absolutely. Um, So yes, I would say it's a combination of both. I don't believe that there is a firm, strict age that you must start the younger, the better. But that said, you know, obviously, if you're still in your teens and you're becoming an adult, it's not the right time, right? You, you haven't matured into your face. Let your features kind of become what they are. And so mm-hmm. I think it's it's inappropriate to suggest that a, a minor should get aesthetic treatments. I think that if you're 18 and up um, and anatomically, it makes sense. This is something that I think should be discussed with the provider. And the provider should be able to give an honest opinion and kind of says, okay, this is this is a good time to start. So in general, again, to kind of summarize, I think that the, the younger you start, the better because there are preventative benefits. You're not allowing, especially with Botox, filler doesn't have as much preventive benefits, but again, Botox, it minimizes the muscle strength. So it's almost like um, not going to the gym, but for your face. And obviously we, we, I'm not saying we shouldn't go to the gym. We should definitely go to the gym. We should definitely <laughs> stay stay active. But yeah. certain areas in the face, right? Like if you're exercising your brows every single day, you're scrunching the lines in on itself every single day. It's like folding a piece of paper in on itself every day. You're going to create a permanent line. So if we can minimize the amount of times that you crease or fold that piece of paper, the better. Uh, with that said, I think that, again, it's still subject to your anatomy and what you're presenting with. And if it's appropriate to, to start now, or is it better to invest maybe in things like laser treatments that will stimulate collagen or do medical grade skincare where it's gonna help um, prolong the period prior to needing to get any Botox or injectable treatments. So uh, as an adult, it's fine. And generally the younger, the better, but again, subject to an assessment. Okay, cool. Um, so when you're like, out in public, and you've probably been asked this, can you kind of always tell when someone has had some kind of work done? Like, do you just have an eye for that now? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, I would say in general, yes, as, a, as an injector, it, we, can, we can definitely tell who's had work and who hasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times um, when the work is done very, very well, it's very hard to detect even as a injector. Mm-hmm. I think as an injector, uh, there's a lot of great work. And even if it's very natural looking, you know, I, I personally may be able to tell, but I would say the general public would probably never even catch on that anything was done. Right. Um, but yeah, there, there's, there's moments, you know, when, when you're out and you're like, oh, you know, I, I wish I could just inject that guy's forehead or <laughs> <laughs> you can't really say anything. Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I don't feel like getting beat up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what would you say is the biggest misconception about Botox or filler? Yeah. Uh, I would just say looking artificial. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a common misconception that the minute that the needle's picked up and introduced into the face, that everything's going to go south and you're going to look like, you know, the housewives of (laughs) wherever, you know, or, or that your lips are going to look blown up. And I don't know how often I hear it. Even my own brother, my older brother, he's the last guy in this world that would ever do anything, uh, (laughs) aesthetic treatments. And he's always like, Oh yeah. So are you going to get Botox in your lips? I'm like, okay, well, it's actually uh, can you do Botox and lips? Yes. But generally what people are referring to in terms of size and volumization, it's filler. Mm-hmm. And so again, there, there's just a common misconception. I think it's just due to the fact that a lot of times when we see um, bad results out there, it's bad results are always noticeable. And so then that becomes our perception and image of what medical aesthetic treatments are. The problem is that uh, it, it, it's a good and bad thing. It serves a patient well in that if they were looking for natural, no one says a thing then it's perfect. You know, they win, we win, we're all happy. But the problem is that no one knows, right? And so then no one has this perception or positive perception of medical aesthetic treatments because they think that all medical aesthetic treatments look like the terrible hack jobs that are out there, unfortunately. And so I would say that's a number one uh, misconception. And I think that the number one fear that my patients have, and I I hear it all the time, and it's completely valid. You know, it's completely valid because again, they see this work out there and they're nervous, but they say, hey, Thomas, I don't want to look fake. I'm really nervous to look fake. I don't want anyone to know. And so Mm -hmm. um, I would say that's the biggest misconception is that, you know, you have to look, you have to look done if you do it. And that's not true at all. You can look incredibly natural. Yeah. Um, And what would you say is the most rewarding part about your job? You know, it's just the patient interaction, being able to make people feel good, you know, boosting Mm -hmm. people's self-esteem. It's, it's a very, I'm very blessed and very, it's very gratifying when patients can be very vulnerable and feel comfortable enough to talk to me about their insecurities and me being able to suggest treatments that may be able to help them. And just, although it is a very superficial thing and it's a physical change, it's also tapping into something internally in that I'm not trying to do filler to fill a void in their heart, but -hmm. I'm just trying to look to inspire and make them feel good from the inside out. And if you can go out there with more confidence because you know, you maybe you have this insecure all your life, you had a really weak chin, and we just brought the chin forward, you have better balanced proportions. And that gives you yeah. confidence to really go out there and do your thing. That for me is the biggest uh, satisfaction of, of my work. Yeah, like if it makes you feel good, there's nothing wrong with it. Just like getting a different hair color or hairstyle, and you feel so much better about yourself, more confidence. Exactly. Like- Exactly. And yeah. that kind of taps into the whole notion of, oh, you know, injectables are not natural. Well, 
to be honest, what is now? I'm going to challenge, yeah. <laughs> you know, whoever's listening to this thinking about that. You know, what what is natural now? You know, if, if we're if we're chemically modifying the color of our hair, we're um, using even toothpaste that's been created in this factory or whatever it is, or we're, we're modifying our teeth and doing braces and right. um, or whitening our teeth, right? You know, these are no different than getting aesthetic treatments and, and, and injectables. So um, it's just, again, this image that has been built on, uh, again, the negative stigma, stigma of, of, of injectables. Totally. Mm-hmm. All right. Questions from Instagram. I love this it. is a good one. Okay. <laughs> Um, how do botched procedures happen? Is it a result from the product itself sometimes or the handler that's doing the injecting? Right. So in terms of product, I would say highly unlikely, but it's not to say that it can't contribute to that. So for example, we, we talked about fillers and that hyaluronic acid filler. You know, we don't want to cause certain issues. And if there was an issue, we can identify, it, we can dissolve it. Mm-hmm. But I would say things like permanent fillers where they can't be dissolved, they got to be surgically removed. And those can really cause significant issues, especially even if it's not immediate that this permanent, and it's not to say all permanent fillers are bad. It just one just has to be very careful with it and has to find mm-hmm. the right practitioner. But if it was injected improperly in, in the wrong area for whatever reason, and although it may not present itself initially, long-term it can potentially cause um, you know, your body will almost reject it. It's almost like when you, when you hear of patients who get surgery and they, they have an implant of some sort, or they have some sort of metal and then the body rejects it. There's some sort of inflammatory right. response that can happen with permanent fillers. And so that can essentially cause what people like to call a botch job. And I guess to define botch, I guess it's kind of basically like a terrible job where it looks lumpy and bumpy and it just, it's very noticeable. And so product can be a factor, but it, generally is quite rare, I would say. And practitioner is very important. So I would say this is the biggest factor more, more than anything. And so mm-hmm. it comes down to a couple of things in my opinion, and that's the provider's knowledge, their um, experience, the technique they use, um, the product that, that, that they do choose to use in that given area, the amount that they choose to use, and so there's, there's many factors. And I think that um, ultimately, if, if we take someone who is trained and highly experienced versus someone who isn't even licensed to do treatments, and it's scary because, you know, thankfully in Canada, it's not that it doesn't happen. It, it happens where there's non-licensed individual uh, people who, where it's not even within their scope of practice, they don't have a medical degree of any sort or a health professional degree, and they're injecting illegally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that, like Canada does kind of have that, but it's more, I think, prevailing in the States and other countries. There's been some terrible results because of that. And also the most important thing is it's not just knowing how to inject, it's knowing how to handle an adverse reaction and knowing how to identify mm-hmm. it. So that can happen as a result of a practitioner who really shouldn't be doing it or is, um, and sometimes, and it's not to say that non-health professionals, uh, sorry, that health professionals cannot run into this either. You know, a health professional mm-hmm. who um, is maybe completely new to it and is doing something that is way outside their experience level and jumping ahead and doing things that are way too advanced for them, there can be some negative consequences with this. And that can lead to hack jobs as well or botched uh, mm-hmm. looking jobs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, next one I have. Do you often have to say no to people when they make outrageous requests of what they want? 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> fortunately, uh, I feel like I don't get tons of these. And I think that it just depends on how you position yourself as an injector, how you market yourself. I think that if you're all about that life where, you know, it's, it's all go hard or go home type of deal, then you're going to attract a certain demographic, in my opinion. Uh, but yes, there are um, moments still sometimes, although rare, where I do have to put my foot down and say no. Ultimately, it boils down to, I believe that there shouldn't be any beauty standard. I think that everyone has their own perception of beauty. And mm -hmm. that's the great thing about things. But there needs to be a point where we draw the line. And it's no longer it's we're outside the realm of uh, what do we want a beauty standard or non beauty standard, it, it's almost becoming dysmorphic, or um, we're trying to create something that really anatomically shouldn't be there, or it's unsafe. Mm -hmm. And if it reaches that point, then absolutely, it, it, it comes to a point where it's like, look, I don't think this is good. And I, I always come from from a place of education, I'm not against people who want to have really defined cheekbones, really full lips, if it works for them, and their look, go for it. But I think that it has to be in balance and in harmony with their other features of their face. Because if someone just has blown up lips, but they have really deep under eye hollows and really flat cheeks and mm -hmm. a really recessed chin, but they got this balloon lip, then that, you know, is just not a good look. And I will admit, you know, my patients are essentially my walking billboards, right? And yeah. I'm not going to put my position, put myself in a position where, again, I'm compromising on their safety and also potentially putting them at, at risk for, um, you know, judgment or, uh, you know, something that just is really inappropriate for them. So uh, yes, absolutely. Saying no should always be um, a huge part of any injectable practitioner's practice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, is it true if you get Botox often and then stop getting it for a while that you will age faster? That is a complete myth. There is no scientific evidence to support that, at least from what I know. So if anyone finds it, you can prove me wrong. But <laughs> to my best knowledge, no. Um, it's, it's a question that's asked often. And it's uh, the same thing with fillers too. So no, if you stop doing Botox cold turkey, you will go back to your baseline. And patients always ask, will it be worse? And if you want me to be honest, the short answer to that is kind of, yeah. Why? It's not because of the Botox itself. Mm -hmm. Imagine that you're doing Botox. So you took a picture of yourself at the age of, we'll say 25, and you do Botox for 10 years. And then you stop at the age of 35 and say, we gave it a break until we're 40. Mm -hmm. And we compare pictures from 25 to 40. Well, obviously you've aged with time, right? We haven't yeah. stopped it. As I mentioned, it slowed it down, but you still aged in between that time. And so things will look technically depending on what we define as worse if worse is that you have more wrinkles more noticeable wrinkles then yes it will look worse because you've aged but botox has not sped up that process it has not mm -hmm. done anything negative even if you decided to stop you would just go back to your normal baseline to your normal muscle strength that's it same thing with fillers if you stop doing fillers um it'll just eventually metabolize over time there is some evidence that shows that it can last quite a while in the body but if you're not abusing it, it shouldn't, there shouldn't be a reason why things would look worse. Mm -hmm. Again, if you compared your photos, then you might notice you had more volume in, in your youth versus when you're older. So yes, technically, if we're going to say worse is that you have less volume, then yeah, but the filler doesn't speed it up or cause any negative effect to the aging process. Okay, good to know. 
Um, if you already have fat on your chin or jawline, is it harder to add Botox to give it that defined look? Right. So likely um, the individual who submitted this question may be referring to filler, but I'll address both. Botox, essentially, if it's used in the jawline and uh, more commonly what's known as a masseter muscle, the masseter muscle is actually the muscle that's responsible for clenching. It's right at the back, basically, where the angle of your jawline is. Mm -hmm. If you bite down and you feel this bulge of your muscle, that's your masseter muscle. And that area can be slimmed out if the masseter muscle is really bulky. So sometimes it's just due to genetic predisposition or what you're, what you're gifted with. Mm -hmm. um, other times it could just be that you have, you've chewed bubble gum all your life every single day and, <laughs> and you've built up that muscle. You've essentially worked it Does out. Does that really work? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. You know, I see some crazy things out there, you know, guys trying to build up their jawline to chew on some weird rubber ball. Yeah. I, I think that it, it's going to take you years by that time. Just get filler, dude, <laughs> like quit messing around, just get filler yeah. <laughs> or, or a jaw implant or whatever. But essentially, if the muscle becomes really bulky and you add Botox, again, what does Botox do? Well, it weakens the muscle. It doesn't allow the muscle to really express itself. It doesn't allow the muscle to go to the gym. So if you don't go to the gym for a while, and you, if you had big bulky muscles, say if you're a bodybuilder, mm -hmm. if you stop going to gym suddenly, you're going to lose that muscle mass. So same idea. If you inject Botox into the masseter muscle, it can sometimes slim the face from a front profile. Now, if you have a lot of fullness and fat around that jawline area, then even though you slim your masseter muscle, it may not do a whole lot to, uh, to actually define your jawline anymore. In fact, getting Botox in your masseters doesn't really, in my opinion, define your jawline. If anything, it can blunt the angle of your jawline because if you have more mass, it can cast a bit more of a shadow because there's this division between the lower face where your mm -hmm. masseter muscle is and your neck, right? Yeah. And so if someone was really full around their neck, doing Botox in the masseters probably wouldn't be hugely beneficial for an aesthetic benefit and creating a tighter looking jawline. With that said, fillers, fillers can be beneficial and it'll definitely be more beneficial than doing Botox in a case that someone has a little bit more fullness. Mm -hmm. I think that where the fullness is quite excessive, we do reach what's called a ceiling on how much filler we can do. And the last thing we want is what's called pillow face or again, just overfill. And so we need to recognize as practitioners and as uh, patients of when surgical intervention is going to be more appropriate or even doing non-surgical methods like fat dissolving. Um, and so there are fat dissolving treatments that you can do or uh, things like cool sculpting, which can freeze the fat, which can eliminate the fullness. Doing that prior to doing fillers may be a good idea just to eliminate the fat first, see how much of a jawline you have to work with and then do filler into the jawline itself. The problem with just doing filler into the jawline, if there's a lot of fullness around the, the jawline and neck, and if it's quite full, there's not much definition is that filler in it. And again, and it's worse to fill is to add volume. So you might risk actually looking even fuller by putting oh, wow. a gel, right? By putting mm -hmm. a gel there and causing that area to look bloated. So um, that's one thing that, that we do have to be very mindful of. Right. Um, do you think any services provided should be covered under Alberta Health? Um, only if it's for therapeutic reasons, yes. Uh, cosmetic, mm -hmm. it, it's cosmetic for a reason. It is not truthfully a necessity. Can it help with self-esteem, mental health? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I think that if, but it, I believe that in, in my opinion, at least, if one becomes reliant on it 
for their mental health strictly to kind of feed this void. And if one is almost having mental instability because they can't get their injectables, then that's problematic in my opinion. And mm -hmm. we need to explore the reasons why and reassess why one is even wanting to do injectable treatments. Um, I think that is for therapeutic reasons. For example, Botox can be for done for chronic migraine, which is covered under insurance um, as it is Health Canada approved for chronic migraine. Uh, there's other cases where it's used uh, muscle, uh, spastic muscles and whatnot. Those can be covered and I think it's definitely justifiable if it's, medical, if it's cosmetic. Again, it's, it's, not, it's not a necessity, it's not a need, it's, it's a want. Right, okay. And then let's move on to our myth or fact segment. So you can just say myth or fact, or if you want to provide a little explanation, you can do that too. Sure. So first one, women get more Botox and filler done than men. Uh, true. Yeah. True. Yeah. I think that there are statistics to, to prove that for sure. Okay. Two filler will never fully a hundred percent dissolve. Ah, that's a good one. Hard to answer that one. I don't think that there's enough scientific evidence that proves that. Mm -hmm. um, again, if we're taking hyaluronic acid filler, which has been a topic of this podcast, if we're mm -hmm. taking that as an example, the aesthetic appearance of filler can metabolize, for example, we're talking cheeks, you know, one what gets higher cheekbones, the aesthetic results can last about up to 12 to 18 months, sometimes more, sometimes oh, wow. less, but say the, all the aesthetic results were gone by 18 months, likely if one were to go under ultrasound, there is still probably some filler that is there. And that has been shown to last beyond three to five years. Um, is it forever? Um, we don't know for certain because we don't have clinical evidence to suggest that. Mm -hmm. I think that as this industry progresses, we're going to have more evidence to show how long it truly does last. Because right now, I don't think that there's a person that, again, has had it in their face for you know, hyaluronic acid filler for 100 years. Not, not that I know of and that there was a study done to see if it was yeah. there. With that said, is it harmful? No, there's nothing to start suggest that it's like, for example, carcinogenic. And mm -hmm. if one was really concerned about that, where they didn't want to have this buildup or accumulation of filler by doing it too often, you can actually dissolve intermittently and do some dissolving. Dissolving would just dissolve the filler itself and not your native tissue. So um, that's always an option if one was afraid of that. Interesting. Okay, next one. Uh, people should not use Botox when pregnant. True. And um, there isn't evidence to suggest that it's not safe. And I'm not saying that I'm advocating for it at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there, there isn't evidence to show that it is safe, but there's no really evidence to say, suggest that it isn't safe for certain. Right. It's just not ethical to take a pregnant woman, give them Botox and be like, hey, I wonder what's going to happen to this individual and if it's going to be excreted through breast milk or into the unborn fetus. So the answer to that is don't do it. Wait till you're finished breastfeeding and then resume after. Take no chances, um, even though the risk is relatively low. But again, there's no evidence to say that it is okay to do. So as a provider, I'm going to say absolutely no, don't do it. Okay. Um, Botox treats your muscles, not your skin. Uh, true. Um, it treats your muscles and indirectly affects your skin. Now there mm -hmm. is some suggestions that doing say hyperdiluted Botox onto the surface of skin can actually firm up the skin a bit. So there is some, um, suggestions that, uh, can show that, but 
uh, for the most part, yes, that, that statement is true and that generally Botox affects the muscles, which therefore can affect the skin. Okay. Um, Botox leaves your face feeling stiff, myth or fact? Um, <laughs> it, it's more of a fact, but it's not a bad thing. Okay. Uh, well, it can be a bad thing. Sorry. If Botox is overdone, and again, the dosage was too high for you. So if it's, how I compare it is again, Botox, as you mentioned, is like a medication. It's like someone who has a headache mm-hmm. and someone might need only one tab of extra strength Tylenol, whereas someone else needs two tablets. Mm-hmm. And that's the same for people who get Botox. Not everyone's muscles are the same. And so everyone's dosage is going to be very different. And if you dose someone very high, then absolutely, they are going to feel frozen for quite a long time. It's going to feel stiff. It's going to feel terrible. Now, for my own personal experience, when I get mine done, I obviously dose it so that I try not to feel that way. And initially, I always feel that at two weeks, um, that's the Botox that I kind of have a little, it's a little bit stiffer, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're not as flexible in your brows, if that's the area that you're treating. Um, but it's, it's short lived. It's not, sorry, my, my dog is just kind of <laughs> whimpering in the background. I'm sorry if that's distracted. No, no worries. Um, it, it, it's so, okay, good, good. So um, basically, what I'm trying to say is that when it's done right, it shouldn't feel stiff. Okay, yeah, perfect. Okay. Well, that's everything I have for you. Thank you so much. I, it was very informative and interesting. Um, tell people where they can find you on social media and anything else. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nina, for having me on, on the podcast. It was such a pleasure. I think that you're doing amazing things and I'm so happy that I was able to, (laughs) of course, I'm so happy that I was able to kind of share my insight on medical aesthetics and maybe help debunk any myths or mm-hmm. put any concerns to rest and uh, patients can easily find me on Instagram at Fresh Prince of Botox. Feel free to send me a direct message if you have any questions. I'm friendly. I like to think that I don't <laughs> bite <laughs> and you know have no fear you can be an open book with me and I'm very happy to answer any questions that you may have because ultimately it's, it's, it's your journey. It's a patient's journey and everyone starts from somewhere and you know everyone not everyone's going to be a pro at medical aesthetics and injections. So that's why people like me exist. And I'm happy to just be a part of that journey. Amazing. Thank you so much, Thomas. Thanks again.